0: We are starting a new series today that is titled Rule and Reign. And hopefully, by the end of today, you'll understand what that means and how that applies to our lives. But before we get into anything, I wanted to give credit where credit is due because we have had a team of people who have been working on this concept for months now. A lot of work, a lot of studying, a lot of discussions that have been had. And so they have been really compiling these things for you. So if you hear anything good over the next four weeks, it's because of them, okay? And if you hear anything bad, it's because of me, all right? But, but they have done so much work, I'm so proud of them, and they are going to be tasked with taking these things forward, continuing to train, continuing to equip us on these things so that we can actually walk in them and live them out every day of our lives. So I'm so excited about that. But today is the introduction. Introduction. And with these introductions, what we like to do is just lay a really secure foundation of what this concept is about so that we can put the building blocks on top of that. And so hopefully that's what we will do this morning. And we're going to do that by actually going to the very beginning of the biblical narrative. We're going to start at the beginning. And this is actually something that we should uh, partake of more often than we do. So many of the important, significant biblical themes that we see throughout were first planted in those uh, first few chapters of Genesis. And so we have to go back to the beginning and see what is laid there so that we can grow on top of it. So that's what we're going to do this morning. So we go to Genesis chapter 1 to the very first page. And what I want us to do is I want us to walk into this almost as if we've never heard these things before. Like we've never read this before, almost like we're the ancient Israelites in the wilderness hearing this for the very first time. And maybe some of the things that would be coming to our minds and see where that takes us. So we, we turn to page one, we begin to read. And what we see from the beginning is this supreme being who is taking action. The Hebrew word is Elohim, which is actually kind of a broad word for for God or for supreme being. But this is what we see. We see God bringing about all of these amazing things, right? That's what we see. I mean, just look around. All of these beautiful, magnificent things he's bringing about through his word. We get to see the the sun and the moon and the stars and all the beauty and, and the power that is held within we see the, the dry ground that sprouts forth vegetation and trees that bear fruit that are good for eating. We see beautiful flowing water that is good for drinking. We look out and we see the beautiful animals, animals inhabiting the land and even flying about in the sky. Like We just take a few steps back and we're like, this is unbelievable. I mean, this is, this is so beautiful. And that's what page one is trying to get us to see. It's a picture of abundance. It's a picture of God's generosity and splendor on display. We get towards the end of of page one, and we see an interesting inclusion. kind of sticks out like a, a sore thumb because we see that this supreme being decides to create another being. In the Hebrew, it's Adam which means human beings. And so catch this, page one is drawing this picture of humanity just waking up into this existence of beauty and magnificence. Like they're just looking out at God's generosity on display. It's an interesting thing to think about. Like you just, you're born, you wake up and boom, God's abundance is on display in your life. But then this is what we go on to read about human beings starting in verse 26. Then God said, Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. So let's stop there for a second and and talk about that. So what we see here is something foundational about who we are, namely that we are made in the image of God. This is something we talk about often. We had a series on this you can go back and listen to, but even in our modern construct, we read that and we get that there's some significance to that, right? That sounds pretty amazing. We're made in the image of God. We're made to reflect God. That's pretty amazing. But the truth is, for the ancient Near Eastern mind, this would have meant even more. Because this phrase, image of God, was something they were very familiar with. However, it was usually only designated for kings. It was only the king who was the image of God. It was only the the king or the leader of the nations who would reflect God into creation. And yet this narrative is showing us that every person is made in his image. What the author is trying to get us to see is the authority and the empowerment that we have as people. We continue to read on verse 27. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and rule over it, Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Then God said, look, I have given you, so there's God's generosity again on display, I have given you every seed-bearing plant throughout the earth and all the fruit trees for your food. And I have given every green plant as food for all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. Everything that has life, and that is what happened. Then God looked over all that he had made, and he saw that it was very good. So we see these themes continuing to rise to the surface. We see this idea of God's abundance, of God's generosity just being laid out in front of us. But we also continue to see this idea of authority and empowerment. There's something going on here that we need to pay attention to. So here's the narrative picture. Page one, this is what is being painted for us. Everything is God's. It's his creation, it's his masterpiece. As Psalm 24 says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. He is the owner of all things. But what God has done is he has given us authority to rule and reign over it on his behalf. This is what we see from the very beginning of the biblical story. So here's our main point for today's lesson. The human vocation is wise stewardship. The human vocation is wise stewardship. So let's break this down, make sure we understand what that means. The word vocation simply means your job, uh, your purpose, even your reason for existing. That's what your vocation is. Stewardship is somebody who has been given authority to rule and govern on somebody else's behalf. So when you put those together, what you see is our job, our purpose as human beings is to steward God's creation on his behalf, to rule and reign according to his design. This is what we see. So let me maybe give you an illustration of stewardship that is a bit more straightforward. So you can kind of see how this works out. And I'm kind of uh, using Luke 19 as a bit of a guide here. You can go read Luke 19 later this week. It's an awesome parable that Jesus talks about. But let's say, um, for narrative's sake, that I was uh, about to go on a business trip. okay? And this particular business trip was going to take me somewhere far away and for an extended period of time. Let's say six months, I was going to be gone the rest of the year on this trip. And unfortunately, because of my wife's work schedule and the kids' school and all that stuff, they have to stay home. So I'm going away, they're staying home. So I know I gotta take care of my family. So here's what I'm gonna do. I'm coming up with a strategy, okay? I'm gonna bring three people in and, and I'm going to equip them and I'm gonna ask them to take care of my family on my behalf. So I get these three people together and I sit them down and I give each one of them $10,000. $10,000. And I say to them, hey, over the next six months, I want you to do your best with this to make sure that my family is taken care of. Whatever need they have, please make sure that they are taken care of. Pretty clear, right? So I go on this trip. Let's say a few months pass by. And let's say the first person takes that $10,000. And they come up with this really secure game plan, okay? They come up with this schedule where they're gonna divvy the money out each week so that by the end of the six months, the $10,000 has been given to my family, make sure that their needs are taken care of, good to go. We would say that's wise stewardship, right? Intentional, they they did a good job with what they were given. Let's say the second person gets that $10,000 and over the first few weeks, they give it to my family when they're in need, but they take the rest and they invest it. And this particular investment gives them this really quick, really amazing return. And before they know it, they've turned 10,000 into 20,000. And then 20,000 into 30,000. Before they know it, it's like fivefold of what I originally gave them. And so they are pouring out blessings onto my family. I mean, just generosity and love. My wife's like, where did all this come from, right? I think we would say that's amazing stewardship, right? That's doing your best. But then let's say the third person gets that money, and as soon as I walk out of the room, they're like, I can't believe this guy is trusting me with this. I can't believe he's trusting me with this much money. And and so he's like, you know what? I'm going to do whatever I want with this, right? I'm not going to give a dime to his family. I'm going to spend it on whatever I want. And that's exactly what he does. He goes on a shopping spree, gets whatever it is that he wants, whatever it is that he wants to do, just completely disregards everything that I had to say. That gives us a picture of the spectrum of stewardship. We can do it really well, to the best of our ability, or we can do it really poorly and be really selfish. And as you build that out on the macro level, it gives you a bit of a clear indication of our relationship with God in this endeavor. How are we stewarding the things? that he's given us. Now, let me be really clear about this, and we're going to say this often throughout this series, but I just gave you an illustration of stewardship by using money. Let me be clear. Money is something we should steward wisely. It's a resource that God has given us that we are to rule and reign over with wisdom. However, it's one piece of stewardship stewardship is so much bigger so much greater than money so let me be clear this is not a financial series and if you minimize it to that you're gonna miss a lot okay So so let's look at this from a holistic standpoint. We are to steward our possessions. We are to steward our relationships. We are to steward our talents and our abilities. We are to steward our time and our attention. On and on we could go. Everything we are, everything we have, it's our vocation to steward that wisely. All of it is God's, but he has given us authority to rule and reign over it. This is what we see. Now, this concept on the surface might not seem all that new to you, uh, might not even be really all that surprising to you. Maybe it seems obvious as you read through scripture, but the truth is, this is a huge paradigm shift for most of us in terms of how we actually live our lives. That's right. This is a completely different worldview than most of us have. We do not view our lives this way. Like, Think about the difference between a worldview that says everything is mine, so I can do whatever I want with it, versus everything is God's, and so I need to consider him in every bit of it. Like, Think about the the difference, the chasm between the two of those. And let's just be honest, the idea that everything is God's, and so I need to steward that wisely is a radically different worldview than our culture and society currently preaches. We agree with that? Now, let me be clear. We'll put the pause button on that. We'll get back to that in a second. I just wanna be really clear. When I talk about culture, I talk about society and I paint it in any sort of negative light. And sometimes I feel like I do that too often. But I wanna be really clear with what is underneath that. As Christ followers, it is our calling and our job to go into culture and go into society and transform and renew and restore it. That is literally who we are called to be. We're supposed to teach and show what life is really about and how you can flourish within God's design. That's our job. So I never want you thinking that I'm creating like an us versus them mentality or some sort of like battle scene. That's not at all the case. It's our job. This is a reminder. We are called to go in and transform and make a difference. I'm gonna be really clear about that, okay? But the truth is our culture, our society preaches a very different message, which is my stuff is mine, right? I, I work hard for this. And so I have the right to acquire more and to consume more and to hold tightly to the things that I have. I have the right to do that. And then this inner disposition comes about where I have to get more and I have to get more. And then I desire more and more and more. And it's this really vicious cycle of how to live your life. And if you think I'm exaggerating here, I would simply ask you, what is the picture of success in our culture and society? What does that look like? I'll tell you what it looks like. Uh, Being really super talented, uh, using those talents to make a lot of money, Using that money to get a lot of stuff, got to get the big house and and the nice cars and all the fun toys, that's the dream, right? If we're being honest, that's the dream. And so for most of us, that becomes what life is really about. That's what we give most of our time to, most of our attention to, most of our thoughts to, that becomes our lifestyle. And, And let me be clear, it's not that any of that stuff is inherently bad or wrong. Listen to me, God has a different story for everyone. And that might include great wealth and it might not. The bottom line is either way with whatever God has given you, do you see it as yours or do you see it as his? Because the answer to that shapes a completely different way to live your life, a completely different approach. It reminds me of Romans 8 2. Paul says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your minds. It's really fancy language. What he's simply saying is, I want you to think differently from the world's customs and the world's designs. What the world deems to be important, I need you to think differently than that. Because this is what he goes on to say, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, what is acceptable, what is complete. So I want you to think differently so that you line yourself up with the will of God and what he really wants for your life. And this this takes us right back to the beginning of the biblical narrative. We talked about page one and and the picture that's being painted. We turn uh, to page three and we see the infamous story of Adam and Eve. And as we begin to read that story, we can't forget that we've just come from a picture of abundance, a picture of of splendor and beauty. So God has lavishly given all of these things. He pours out his generosity. He gives them authority to rule and reign over it. But then an important question gets posed, and that is, will mankind rule and reign over it God's way or will they do it their own way? Will they try to define good and bad themselves or will they trust in God's wisdom and go that direction? And sadly, we know the answer to that. And in fact, we just talked about how taking and acquiring and consuming, how that is the MO of our culture and society. That's how we live our lives. And interestingly enough, if you read through Genesis 3 closely, that is the exact verbiage that is used to describe Adam and Eve's mistake. The story says that they saw that the tree was good. So now they've defined good for themselves. Despite what God has to say, they've defined it for themselves. So here's what they do. They take it for themselves and they consume it. They, they acquire it and then they do whatever it is that they want to do with it. But but then the plot runs even thicker than that because why did they take for themselves? What was the ultimate temptation that was laid in front of them? It was that they could be like God. In other words, that they could become the owner of all things and do whatever it is that they want to do despite what God has to say. That was the temptation, and that is exactly what they gave into. And it doesn't take long to, to think through these things before you realize this is representative of all of us. God has given all of these things as an unbelievable gift of his grace and his generosity. You may think for a second about the blessings in your life and yet how quickly we take it and we act as if it's our own. How quickly we go down that path. This is, by the way, why the narrative says that the tree was in the middle of the garden. And initially you're like, well, that's kind of messed up, right? Like putting the bad thing right in the middle, that, that doesn't even seem Right. But don't forget the narrative says that the tree of life was also right there in the middle because here's what the author is doing. He's painting a picture of human reality, which is we have this ever-present decision right in front of us at all times. This constant choice right in the middle, will we try to take and acquire and do it our way or will we trust in God's wisdom and do it his way? This is the decision that is ever-present in front of us. And so, over and over and over again in scripture, we see this idea that people are given a generous gift from God, just overflowing with goodness, and immediately act as if it's their own. I've accomplished this, I deserve this, this is mine. We see it with Eve, we see it with Jacob, we see it with Samson, we see it with Saul, with Solomon, with basically every king of Israel and Judah. Over and over and over again, we see this cycle. And see, this is why Paul later goes on to say this in 1 Corinthians 4, listen. He says, what do you have that God hasn't given you? What do you have that God hasn't given you? And if everything you have is from God, why boast as though it were not a gift? Why are you taking and hoarding these things? Why are you acting as if you're the owner? Why are you boasting as if you're the one who did it all on your own? Do you see the worldview that the biblical authors are trying to create in us? God is the owner of all things. He stands above it all. He is sovereign, and our job is to steward those things wisely, to rule and reign with wisdom. Now, let's talk about that word wisdom for a second. Because what does it mean to be a wise steward? And this is obviously the things we're going to unpack through the rest of this series. But here's where we have to start. This is without a doubt the foundation that we have to lay around wise stewardship. Let's go to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to hang out in Matthew 6 a lot throughout this series, so get used to it. Um, but Jesus is talking to the people, and he's telling them, stop worrying. Stop worrying. Stop being so anxious about uh, the the things that you eat and the things that you wear and, and shelters. Just stop worrying about those things. And then he goes on to say this, but put God's kingdom first, do what he wants you to do, and then all of those things will also be given to you. This is wise stewardship. Put God first, do what he wants you to do, and then trust that he'll take care of the rest of it. That's what it is. This is also, by the way, what we would call living your life by faith. This is what it is. This is exactly what Paul has in mind when he says walk by faith, not by sight. Because faith is trusting in God to the extent that you put him first in everything and know that he'll take care of the rest. Actually trusting that he'll supply all of your needs. That's what this is about. Which means this not only are we to consider God in all of the things that he's given us, but we are to put him first in all of it. He is to be the number one priority of our time. He is to be the number one priority of our talents, of our money, of our dreams. He is to be first in all of it. That is wisdom according to the scriptures. It's something to think about. Because here's the truth. Otherwise, it's just about us, Right? We're just out for ourselves. We're just out to get ours. And again, that sounds perfectly fine from a cultural standpoint. But if you claim to be a Christ follower, the question must be asked, are you trying to build God's kingdom or are you trying to build your own? That becomes the thing that we have to ponder. With all of the things that I have, am I truly about God's plans and God's design and God's kingdom or am I simply about my own? Now, the hope is that the two of those intertwine right? I mean, that's the hope that we align ourselves so closely with the will of God that the two of those are inseparable. But the truth is most of us have indeed given our lives to trying to build our own kingdom. It's, it's about my money, and it's about my stuff, and it's about my convenience, and, and it's about my glory. And before we know it, we're right back to the Adam and Eve story. We're right back to the Adam and Eve mindset. Wise stewardship is about choosing to do things God's way, trusting what he has said, and gladly putting him first. That is wise stewardship. And so let's talk practically through this for just a second. Maybe think through some situations and how this might actually come about in our lives. And I'm not even gonna try to give you my opinion or my thoughts. I want you to just think through these things, okay? Try to think through this worldview. If my talents and my abilities are God's, He has given them to me for a purpose. What does that mean for how I use them? What does that mean for how I I sharpen and how I refine them? Is it possible that I'm wasting them in any way? This is something we need to think about. If my house and my possessions are ultimately God's, it's a good gift from God, what does that mean for how I view those things? What does that mean for what I do with those things? If my time is God's and he's given it to me, what does that mean for each minute and hour that passes by? How am I to treat this? Here's a good one. If my job is God's, it's a good gift of his grace and his generosity, what does that mean for the work that I put in? What does that mean for the mindset that I should have every single day? And then here's the cool part. If you take these questions and you start introducing Jesus's ideas of love and sacrifice and generosity and selflessness, you all of a sudden start uncovering what this is all about. You all of a sudden start to understand that the true way to rule and reign as his stewards within his design. And so that's what we're gonna do throughout this series. Let me wrap things up this way. I think that there are three common issues that that really hold us back from wise stewardship, okay? Three barriers, three obstacles that tend to get in our way, especially in our culture, in our context, okay? The first one is selfishness. This is the first barrier. Because here's the thing. In in our culture, it's all about me. We're, We're encouraged to think that way. It's all about me and mine. And so that gives me liberty to take and to hoard and to hold tightly to the things that I have. In fact, it's incumbent upon me to do that because I gotta take care of my family. I gotta take care of my tribe, right? It's so interesting to me how sometimes when you talk to people who are just working themselves silly, just working crazy hours and doing other side things to make even more money, and you'll ask them, why are you doing that? And their response is, just got to take care of my family, man. Make sure there's food on the table, shelter over their head. And that sounds really honorable, right? That's a good thing to do. But as you dig a little bit deeper, sometimes I want to ask, so are you saying you couldn't do that with less? You couldn't take care of your family well with a, a smaller home or with cheaper cars or a smaller budget? That wouldn't be possible for you? As you start to uncover these things, you see the heart behind it. Let's just put it on the table. You're putting in all those hours. You're doing those things so you can get more and more and more and take more and more and more. That's what you're doing. Now listen, that's not a universal truth. That's not true of everybody in that situation. It's something to think about, right? It's something to be aware of. This is often how Jesus would teach. He would say these really hyperbolic things just to get you to, to think. Like one time Jesus says, sell your possessions and give it to the poor. Now, that's not a universal truth. He's not saying all people for all time should do this. On a macro level, it doesn't even make sense. And in fact, Jesus's ministry was funded by wealthy people, primarily women, who hadn't done that. So he's not saying it as a universal truth. He's trying to get you to think. Sell my possessions. Okay, so what does that mean about my possessions? what does it mean about what, what these things are and what they mean to me and how I am to use them? And, and so then you get into your car and you turn on the ignition and you start to think, wait, did, did I actually seek God before I bought this car? Or Was this just something I wanted for me? And then you walk into your house and you look around. Is this really the house that God has for my family or is this just all about me? And you start to think and you start to ponder. And then before you know it, you're in relationship with God and you're seeking after him and you're growing in him. You see how this works? So, so selfishness. All about me. I got to gain, I got to gain, I got to gain. Something we need to think about. Something we need to ponder if we're going to be like Jesus. Here's the second issue we see in our culture. Discontentment. Here's what so often happens. We look around at what everybody else has. We obsess over social media about what everybody else has. And what everybody else has done. And it creates this hole in us. This this longing that isn't being filled because I don't have those things and I'm not accomplishing those things. And, And what happens is before you know it, you are really discontent. You're really unhappy with the things that God has given you. You've forgotten about them. And if you have forgotten about what God has given you, you certainly aren't stewarding that well. Discontentment, something to be aware of. Here's the third thing, and this might be a little bit surprising, but I think it's especially true in our context, entitlement. Yet again, we look around at what everybody else has. We see all their talents and all their abilities and how they spend their time and how they spend their money. We look around, and and some of us begin to think, you know what, I could do that. I'm just as talented as that person. I'm just as capable as that person. I'm just not seeing the same results for whatever reason. And as you live in that, and as that dominates your thoughts, eventually you become really jealous. Jealousy leads to resentment and bitterness, and bitterness leads to laziness. You start saying things like, it doesn't even matter what I do, I'm not gonna get that. It doesn't even matter how hard I work, I'm not gonna get what everybody else has. You're entitled, and you're no longer stewarding the things that God has given you. These three things I really think are the antithesis of how we are supposed to steward God's creation. And the solutions to these are exactly what we're gonna be talking about over the next three weeks. How can we steward God's creation wisely? How can we do it according to his design That's exactly what we're gonna talk about. Please come with an open heart. Please come with an open mind. Take notes, apply these things to your life. Be serious about this so that we can rule and reign the way that God desires.